All right, Nate, we're podcasting for the first time after the national championship game. And a lot of people are probably thinking you probably, you guys probably got so depressed. That's why you guys couldn't talk about it for a couple of weeks, but to be quite honest, this was, uh, I think we've had some more heart crushing regular season losses than this one. Um, and I don't know. What do you think about that? That's my hot take. To yeah. Start off. yeah. I, it feels weird because it, it feels like, you know, what Ohio state players and even fans, it feels like all that we really wanted this season was revenge on Clemson. And we did in fact get, and so, and you know, this was kind of a, the more I look at this, this Alabama team was kind of like, you know, I, I'm, I think people are pretty hyperbolic and I'll say, you know, best college football team ever. I don't know if that's the case, but they have a lot of things go in their favor, you know, where they had, um, they, they had all of these talented guys come back They you know, they had the Davey O'Brien award winner, the Blitnikoff and Heisman trophy winner, the Doak Walker award winner, Joe Moore, best offensive line award, you know, that they pretty much cleaned up those awards. And so we were kind of facing a, a stalwart. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was definitely getting frustrated early on if I could try to go back and channel my emotions from the time um, with our defense and it felt like you know we were just leaving Devontae Smith open on certain plays and not intentionally but you know when you have tough Borland uh, running up the middle of the field trying to keep up with Devontae Smith that is a battle that you were going to lose 100 times out of 100 so that was a little frustrating I feel like Sarkeesian kind of coached circles around all of our defensive coaches I don't think we adjusted well and a lot of people are saying, you know, Trey Sermon going out early, first play of the game, that could have changed the game. I don't buy it because we just weren't getting any stops that, you know, they put up a 50 burger on us and that just put so much more pressure on fields and the offense. And that's when things kind of, yeah. kind of started getting out of hand. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, if Trey Sermon plays, does the offense do better? Probably. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it's a, a 52 to 45 game. Um, but I still don't think we're win we win. And, and that's still uh, with the thought, Mike, that, you know, to be quite honest, Alabama kind of let off the gas a little bit, you know, they, there were possessions in the second half where they were without Devonte Smith, without Jalen Waddle, without Najee Harris in, um, and they're still moving the football. And, and so, like you said, I don't think that would have made any difference in, in terms of who won the game. And, and honestly, I've heard a lot about, you know, could Tommy Togi have changed the game too? Um, and sure, maybe he helps some, uh, but a defensive tackle isn't going to be able to do a lot when Mac Jones is getting the ball out in under three seconds. Yeah, it was a culmination of a bunch of things. I think our defense was, you know, well, Justin Fields' numbers look terrible. Um, his QBR somehow still ended up 87.2, I guess, because of some of the runs that he had. But it just came down to our defense. Like, we were weak pretty much all the way through. And we were talking about this leading up and basically the entire season. Not having that Chase Young or that Bosa defensive end is enormous because you can't rush the passer you know, Mac Jones is sitting back there forever. And, you know, these Alabama receivers are open within one or two seconds, you know, so someone's got to, nobody was covering. We weren't getting a pass rush. Our linebackers were okay, but they were still being outplayed. And that, that's just, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. 
Right. And I, and I think I look back and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, he did such a wonderful job of getting Devonte Smith in, in matchup nightmares. Uh, but I do have to wonder, you know, if the Buckeyes would have played some more press coverage, if that would have helped. I know that's no easy task against one of the best uh, receivers college football has ever seen, but it felt like we're giving them those seven, eight yards in man-to-man coverage. They kind of do that little motion to him in the backfield and back out wide into the flat. And he was just having a heyday on linebackers or safeties, corners, whoever it was. And I think that's because he had some momentum going and our guys were, like I said, seven, eight, nine yards off the ball. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think we actually stopped the run decently well, which was, but, but again, we could not stop anything through the air, but losing a game like this, as I said, it, it didn't sting as bad as I thought it would. And I think beating Clemson had something to do with it, but also in a year that has been so crazy, we didn't even know if we were going to have football. Then we didn't even know if we were going to play enough games to qualify for the big 10 championship. Um, We played Clemson, we beat Clemson. And not having fans in the stadium, I mean, there were some, but not really, I think maybe 10,000 fans or something like that. It was just an overall weird environment. It was a weird game. It didn't feel like a national championship game, like when we played Oregon back in 2015. And just all things considered, I just walked away from, I think I woke up, woke up the next morning and it almost felt like a dream. I guess more of a nightmare, but I just, it didn't feel, it didn't feel real. It, it didn't have the even the game itself just didn't have the excitement of a national championship because it was over, uh, you know, two minutes into the third quarter. Right. Right. And, and I think that's a big part of it too, is, is we just have to give credit where credit's due one to Alabama, but also to this, this Ohio state football team. I mean, what they have been through over the course of the last um, several months, I don't think we can begin to fathom. I mean, and not seeing your family on Thanksgiving, not seeing your family on Christmas. I mean, think about these freshman guys who, who a lot of them have never been away from mom and dad. And now they're asked almost immediately to, to stay away, um, to not go home, uh, to be tested every single day, to not, you know, they're not in class. They're doing class online virtually. They're not able to go and, and make friends or anything like that. It, it was a, a tough, tough deal. And so, you know, would, would I have liked to have won the national championship? Yeah. Would I have liked to have looked better at times this season? Yeah. But, man, what a just incredible uh, gutsy performance by this team all the way around. Yeah, I'm very satisfied. And we can talk about Justin Fields and his legacy. I guess now we'll transition to that. Obviously, it really sucks that he would was not able to win a national championship. That's going to sting. But I still think he goes down as the best quarterback in the history of Ohio State football. I would even put him above Troy Smith. I know he doesn't have the Heisman. Both of them, um, you know, obviously have the national championship loss on their, on their resume. Uh, but – Nate, I guess you could probably speak better of that because you were an Ohio State fan in real time with Troy Smith. You are a Troy Smith defender, but do you think that <laughs> do you think that Justin Fields goes down as a better quarterback in the history of Ohio State football? Yeah, I think he does. I I think yeah, like you said, Mike, I am as big a Troy Smith fan as anyone that's 
that's ever lived. You remember probably very well our, I think it was our senior year, Troy Smith's jerseys getting retired. I had my Troy Smith jersey on, um, having a blast supporting my favorite player. I, I think Justin Fields has, has maybe eclipsed him as my favorite Buckeye of all time. And, and there's so many reasons that, you know, I think for starters, he had the best game by a quarterback in Ohio State history in that Clemson game. I know he threw an interception, um, but it was just him trying to make a play. What he did, the gutsiness was, was incredible. But I, I think the true storyline with this kid is that he bridged a gap. Um, no one had more pressure on their shoulders than Justin Fields when Urban Meyer retired, Ryan Day took over. The quarterback room was shaky. Matthew Baldwin uh, transferred out. Tate Martell transferred out. We're bringing in Chris Chuganov and Gunnar Hoke. Hmm. And, and there's a lot of question. And, and Ryan Day's career as a coach could have gotten off to a much slower start if it weren't for Justin Fields. He had the weight of the world on his shoulders, uh, and he performed so well last year. The way he fought to have a season this year, I just I cannot speak highly enough all the way around. Just a, not only a great player, but a wonderful young man. Um, and and so I think his legacy does go down as the best, you know, quarterback to play at Ohio State. And I think it could very easily become the best quarterback that's that has, you know, attended Ohio State in terms of NFL career as well. Just because there's not. You know, there's not a lot of Ohio State quarterbacks who've had professional success. You're not putting your eggs in the Dwayne Haskins uh, Steelers basket? You know, I, I wish him the best, uh, but I, I don't think I'm feeling uh, bold enough to bet on that just yet. Well, at least I'll, if we want to just get on a slight tangent, at least Dwayne Haskins will have maybe a year if Ben Roethlisberger comes back to kind of transition and, and become an adult. But yeah, I think you're totally right. It's it's awesome seeing, uh, you know, sometimes you root for a college team and then when those guys go to the next level, you're not rooting for the team that they go to necessarily, but you're obviously rooting for them to have success. You know, I, I plenty of times I would text you and be like, dude, Malik Hooker got two picks today, you know, and like, or, or you know, right. you know just, you're just rooting for those guys or, you know, Carlos Hyde or whatever. And it's exciting because we haven't had the opportunity to do that with a quarterback. Dwayne Haskins didn't really play last year or the last two years. Um, so we haven't had that ability. And Terrell Pryor had a very, very brief run. But even obviously the way things unfolded with him at Ohio State, you're not even really rooting for him when he went uh, to the NFL. And this is going to be awesome. You know, Justin Fields is probably going to get drafted somewhere between second and fifth overall. He's going to go to a team as a franchise quarterback and – if he does well, it's cool to see because we love Justin Fields as a player and also it validates Ryan Day. And then, you know, if, if Quinn Ewers does well, then it's like, hey, look at these quarterbacks that I'm producing. It's good for recruiting and it kind of rolls downhill. Like how many defensive ends? You think Jack Sawyer, obviously he's an Ohio kid, but he came to Ohio State as a defensive end because he's seen what Larry Johnson has done with the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. That's good for the program. Right. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's the, you know, that speaks more to just what he did. I mean, it's a, it's a whole lot different if you're looking at, you know, Ryan Day has had two seasons as the head coach. And in those two seasons, he's, you know, maybe worst case scenario, let's say he's 
20 and six, you know, to two, 10 and three seasons. And, you know, the quarterback's been Tate Martell. And now it's kind of like, well, can, can professional NFL level quarterbacks play at Ohio state. And now there's really no doubt about that, especially the way Ryan day strung together Haskins. He somehow gets some credit for Joey Burrow. And then also Justin Fields. Um, he really has set this program up to succeed. And like I said, I just, I can't speak enough to the character of this young man as well. You know, JT Barrett, also a great guy, a leader, did have the run-in with a DUI. Cardale Jones, loved that guy, but did have the, the issue with tweeting, we ain't here to play school. Um, Justin Fields feels very similar to a, a Braxton Miller type guy, great character, just even more talented. Yeah, 100%, definitely. And, and Nate, we'll close out the Justin Field talk. I'm sure we will talk about him plenty of times in the future podcast. But it, no matter how much we talk about him, it wouldn't be enough. That's how much he's meant to this team and, and how much fun you know it's been to see him, such a dynamic player. But at the next level, what NFL team do you want him to go to uh, just for the sake of rooting for him on Sundays and for his career? Yeah, that I, I love that. Sure. I love that question. I, I think in an ideal world, uh, he, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but I hope, I kind of hope he falls to number four, the Atlanta Falcons there. Um, I know Atlanta has some, some building that they have to do still. Um, and they'd have to part ways with Matt Ryan or even give Justin Fields a year, uh, with Matt Ryan. But I look at this team, they've got, uh, Calvin Ridley, young receiver out wide, Julio Jones, a veteran there, um, a decent offensive line. And they just brought in this, this savvy offensive minded coach, Arthur Smith, who's done a lot in Tennessee with the Titans, Ryan Tannehill kind of resurrected his career. And then I look at the NFC South and say, you know, the saints are good, but Drew Brees is probably going to retire. How many years does Tom Brady have left as a Buccaneer? The Panthers are kind of rebuilding, uh, what could Justin Fields do there? And, and also, you know, that's his, that's his hometown team. Uh, so I'm, I'm rooting for the Falcons. What do you think? Um, I kind of think of it in terms of what's going to kind of raise his profile as a quarterback and where are the building blocks there to succeed. Even if he did go to the Falcons, I think he's probably not going to play for a year or two. They might, you know, pull an Aaron Rodgers and sit in behind Matt Ryan or uh, to do a more – dated reference um a Patrick Mahomes you know sitting him behind Alex Smith but I I would like to see him go either two or three either go to the Jets or the Dolphins um the Jets I think would be cool they're they're not as bad as as you would think they did finish two and 14 and they had a couple wins towards the end of the year they have some offensive weapons I think Denzel Mims is going to turn into a good wide receiver Jameson Crowder is not terrible and if he, if he goes to New York, he's going to get a lot of primetime games. He's going to get a lot of national exposure being in that major market. And selfishly, you know, I'm a New York uh, sports fan. I listen to New York local radio all the time. And it would be really fun to, to hear, uh, kind of have my worlds collide, uh, so to speak. You know, hear, hear those local morning radio guys talk about an Ohio State player, which they never really would have in would have before. So selfishly, uh, that and I think the Dolphins he would succeed. I don't know if the Dolphins have abandoned Tua yet, but I think that um, you know Devonte Parker is a really really solid receiver. Mike Gesicki he's a top five, top seven tight end, and and Miles Gaskin isn't a bad running back. So they got some pieces there too. 
And again, kind of selfishly here, uh, I'm, I live in South Florida full time. So I would get to go to some Dolphins games and see him. There you go. There you go. That, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It sounds like Zach Wilson's kind of overtaken him as the number two quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they test and, and how their pro days and such go. Yeah, I, I, I think that once they start testing them at the pro days, they're going to realize Zach Wilson's like six foot and uh, doesn't have as good arm strength. But we will see. Um, Nate, let's transition and talk about kind of like some, you know, this part of the year, uh, you worry about recruiting and you also worry about who's going to go to the NFL and who's coming back. And we've had some interesting calls on offense and, and none more interesting than Chris Olave coming back. A lot of people doubted this thinking that, oh, Justin Fields is going, Olave with a with a rookie quarterback is probably not going to perform as well. But, hey, he, the kid must just love college because he's coming back for a fourth season. Man, I, I think this is just a, a complete and total credit to the, the culture that uh, Brian Hartline has created in that room. And, and I say that because, you know, Chris Olave is probably the most talented of this bunch. But this is something that we've seen from from Paris Campbell coming back for his senior year, Terry McLaurin coming back for his senior year. Now, again, I know they weren't, you know, all world prospects like Chris Olave is, but he's created this culture where where the guys want to come in there. They want to be a part of something in a, in a talented receiver room. Um, and I think he wants to in the same way Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin. Uh, Johnny Dixon and such gave to him. I think he wants to give back to these young guys as well. And and I, I think to top that all off, it doesn't hurt to see a guy like Devontae Smith come back for a senior year and win the Heisman Trophy. Do you think – I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here. Um, two kind of conspiracy theories. One being he went to Ryan Day and said, who's going to be the quarterback next year? Because I'm probably only going to come back if it's, you know – you know, let's just say hypothetically him and CJ Stroud have, have chemistry. Uh, he says, Oh, I'm only, I'm only going to come back if you think Stroud's going to be the quarterback or the other thing, I, I forgot what quarterback it was. It might've been Damon Arnett, but remember there was one cornerback that was going to declare for the NFL draft. And then he talked to Chris Carter and Chris Carter's like, no, you got more work to do. You got to go back for your senior season. Um, maybe as a mentor, something like that happened. Like, you know, somebody convinced him to go back because he, they didn't believe he was as polished as a wide receiver. I don't know. You think either of those things happen? Uh, yeah, I think, I think that the first one is possible that, that it, maybe he went to Ryan day and asked, or, or even, you know, he's, it may be an evidence of what he's seen from CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, just in this past, you know, season I'm sure that they've run those guys with the ones a little bit and he's gotten an idea of what kind of quarterbacks they are what kind of ball they can throw maybe he's watched some tape of of Kyle McCord um and and you know the the other thing it could just be that he he really really loves being an Ohio State Buckeye which I think is pretty darn cool yeah absolutely and initially when this first happened I was like oh you know I would and we'll talk about the defense a little bit I was thinking if I could trade Chris Olave for Tommy Togiai coming back, I think I would do that because defense was a bigger issue this year. But as I thought about it more, it's like you have a young quarterback coming along. I think what's going to help your young quarterback better than having two major receiving targets like Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave. So in, in some ways it sort of helps your quarterback along 
and in other ways, um, you know, I, I just hope that our defense doesn't struggle. Right, right. And, uh, you know, the, the other uh, weapon that we're getting back is Jeremy Ruckert. Yeah, the that's exactly true. The was yeah. one that was going to look, you know, a little bit dicey. Uh, not a lot of, of returning talent there. And now Jeremy Ruckert, who, you know, he'll probably his ceiling's probably a second or third round pick in the NFL. Um, but I think he he's, you know, outside of a guy like Kyle Pitts, he's probably one of the most talented tight ends in college football is just ability to block and to catch the football. And so to have a security blanket, I know the, the Buckeyes have never really used the tight ends a lot, but to have him as a security blanket, only going to help whatever young quarterback starting. Yeah. Tight ends are interesting now because I think maybe like 10, 15 years ago, tight ends became like a hot commodity in the NFL. You had like the Jimmy Grahams and the Rob Gronkowski's of the world. And now if you look at your, you know, fantasy football league, it's the, the number five tight ends like Mike Gusecki, you know, like they're, they're almost feel like they're, they're coming back to being underutilized as teams go to a three wide receiver kind of base format. Um, but yeah, I, I think Ruckert's a total weapon. We saw him dominate in the red zone this year, and that is just another security blanket for our quarterback, whoever it may be to have it's huge to have that guy over the middle who you can trust and and I think Ruckert's a beast he can probably become a little bit more polished as same thing with Alave too but that, that's huge and I, I think our offense is really going to click on all cylinders next year regardless of who the quarterback is right and and you know that's not even mentioning a guy like Thayer Mumford who's going to come back and anchor an offensive line. We don't know where yet, you know, we can talk more about that in a, a depth chart preview, but he could be a four-year starter at left tackle. There's talk about maybe bumping him into left guard. So Paris Johnson can play that tackle spot or, or maybe Paris Johnson plays the guard spot. Um, but to have him and Nicholas Petit Frere and Harry Miller back, Paris Johnson waiting in the wings, Matthew Jones, who played a lot late in the season at guard. The offensive line is shaping up to be a, a, a unit that's just as good as it was this year. Yeah, our, we've done such a good job recruiting in the trenches. I think offensive line was a position that an under Urban Meyer, we didn't exactly – it wasn't one of our best recruiting um, positions, but that's definitely been a pivot. I think next year we're probably going to be starting what, like three, five stars on the offensive line across the board. It's going to be interesting to see, yeah, how how like you know everyone shuffles into place. And they, I will say quickly, so Trey Sermon obviously ran out of el- well, he didn't run out of eligibility, but he was a senior, so he's going to the NFL. But are, are you a little bit worried about the running back position because it's essentially Master Teague who is pretty so-so this year and uh, Travion Henderson who, yeah, he's, he's supposed to be great, but he's still, you know, we don't know. We haven't seen that. I I actually feel pretty confident about this room. And, and the big reason is I I really do believe in Travion Henderson. And I think that running backs probably about the, that or maybe a D end D line is probably the easiest place to come in and play and have an effect as a freshman. And so I think that they're just going to put him in the game um, and see what happens. I also think, you know, as a freshman, Marcus Crowley looked like a, a pretty talented back. He was banged up a lot of this year and then kind of got thrust into the national championship game. Um, but I think he'll have a role. Mayan Williams um, adds some depth there. So I, I think the running back room is going to be okay. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see what kind of offense we run because, again, we have no idea what quarterback is going to win the job, but they're not going to have the level of, you know, as a dynamic player as Justin Fields. And we talked about this a lot when Cardell, or not Cardell Jones, but um, when Dwayne Haskins was our quarterback, the run game suffered because we didn't have that dual threat option. And it'll be interesting how that unfolds and if that helps or hurts uh, Travion Henderson. But Nate, let's flip over to the defense. I guess we got to start with the biggest loss. Well, the biggest loss in terms of uh, quantity is probably (laughs) the linebackers because we're getting an entirely new linebacker room. But in terms of quality, I think the biggest loss was Tommy Togiai. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, I I think that this is, it was the right decision for him. His stock's probably never going to be higher than it is. Probably borderline late first round pick, maybe second round pick. Um, Big Tom, you know, he's probably going to break all the records of the combine for, for the bench press, anything with lifting weights. Um, I, I think this would have been a, a much bigger loss had Pascal Garrett not decided to come back. But having one of those two anchors there on the D-line to pair with, you know, you've got uh, Tyreek Smith starting at one end, probably Zach Harrison on the other. you got Tyler Friday, Javon. Javante John Baptiste, you got Jack Sawyer coming in. Hopefully, JT Tuamaloao coming in. Um, I, I honestly don't know how much we're really going to feel the effect of Tommy Togiai leaving, but having him would have been a, a huge help. See, I don't know. I'm worried about the ends. I, I feel like Zach Harrison just didn't put it together this year, and you can blame Kobe. And to the extent, he's a true freshman, so I'm holding him to a very high standard but he didn't put it together to the extent that we needed him to. Uh, we really did not have that defensive end who could muster more than like one sack per game. And I think, I, I really think there's a spot for Jack Sawyer to come in right away and, and be a dominant defensive end. He's one of the best recruits in the history of Ohio state football. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited for him. And, and I feel like Allah. Look, I don't know if it's going to be different under Ryan Day as opposed to Urban Meyer, but under Urban Meyer, we never saw these five-star defensive ends start right away. But as the year would go on, Chase Young or Nick Bosa would be more of a part of the uh, defense. So maybe that's something that Ryan Day will do, kind of phase Jack Sawyer in. Right. And I think him and, you know, JT Tuimaloao, that's still that recruitment still got some time to go between us and, and Alabama. But if he comes, he is certainly a young man. He's he's six four, two hundred ninety pounds, but he moves. He plays tight end on their offense, and so he could come in and get instant minutes at, at defensive end. They may try and put him push him down to tackle some too. Um, but I think I actually do have more concern about that linebacking spot just because the first four guys are all gone. Um, and I know the, the guys that are behind them are, are somewhat veterans, you know, Dallas Gantt or Hada Mitchell, uh, Kayvon Pope are all at least juniors. Um, but it, it's a little concerning to me, you know, if they're, if they are as talented as they are, why haven't they started yet? Why haven't they started over tough Borland? Why haven't they started over, um, you know, some of these linebackers. And, and so, I, I have a little bit of, of nerve there as to who's going to fill that linebacker room. We, you know, we haven't had new linebackers in about four years. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that spot next year as well. Yeah, it feels like tough Moreland has been at Ohio state since, you know, we were freshmen in college. Right. <laughs> right. 
it, I can't remember the last time we had a different middle linebacker. Uh, and Baron Browning, too. Uh, it, it just seems like when I, – I think we were podcasting when he was recruited, but I just uh-huh. feel like it was like eight years ago when Baron Browning uh, committed. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm worried about the defense in general, especially the back seven. And I'm also worried about, you know, Kerry Combs. I, 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 we talked about this all year long. I think he had a tough time adjusting, and he had a tough time calling the defensive plays. I don't know if it was a personnel issue. Uh, Sean Wade definitely looked out of place playing the outside cornerback position. But just a whole bunch of question marks in the back seven and whether Kerry Combs can do this and coach as a defensive coordinator at an elite level, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It was a COVID year, limited practice, you know, limited, you know, just availability of players with COVID and injuries and whatnot. So I, I guess we'll see if they can put it together next year. Yeah. Yeah. We have to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and um, not a lot to report on this topic because we haven't found a replacement just yet, but uh, Greg Madison is stepping down. He's retiring. Uh, as the Ohio State uh, co-defensive coordinator. So it'll be interesting to see who uh, Ryan Day brings in to replace him. I'm, I'm hoping for a young mind, uh, kind of like in the Jeff Halfley mold, but we'll see that could have a real effect on the, the defensive backs as well. Wouldn't it have been amazing to get Marcus Freeman? Oh, I know. I feel like we didn't pounce early enough. He's at Notre Dame now, and, and man – uh, Notre Dame got a, a darn good one. I'll say that much. Yeah, he would have been able to come in as an Ohio. He's like everything you want. He's young. He's a, a young defensive mind. He played at Ohio State. You know, he, he played in the NFL. You can talk about that whole transition. So, I don't know. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, I, what replacement we get for Greg Madison. But I feel like our coaches are pretty well dispersed. I think we do have a good mix of young guys and, and experienced guys and think Ryan Day will end up making the right decision yeah yeah I I fully trust him he's he's done a good job of hiring so far Halfley was you know such a an awesome hire Corey Dennis we haven't seen a ton but he is the main guy recruiting uh Quinn Ewers which to me says okay I I trust that guy um and so we'll we'll see what Ryan Day does next but uh all the best to Greg Madison as he He's almost 70, enters uh, the retirement phase of his life. Is it possible? Now I'm thinking about this through. Like, I'm thinking, why did Kerry Holmes get hired in the first place after Jeff Halfley? Because he, he was at the NFL. Obviously, he had history as a positional coach at Ohio State. But is it possible Ryan Day was kind of looking for someone who would be content being the Ohio State defensive coordinator for a long time? Because he, he got Jeff Halfley, Jeff Halfley did a great job, and Jeff Halfley left for a coaching job. Because if, you, if you're if you at Ohio State and you get a defensive coordinator who's under the age of 45, they probably have aspirations to be a head coach. And maybe Ryan Day was just thinking, I don't want the headache of hiring a new defensive coordinator every single year and getting a new system. I need some kind of consistency. Yeah, you know, that is, that is certainly possible. Um, I think that Ohio State – to this point hasn't had quite the budget that you know some of these bigger programs like Clemson and Alabama have for their coordinators and so I think that plays a role in it as well where you're going to get guys who want to beat Ohio State and want to stay there a long time just for continuity's sake 
Um, so I, I'm with you. I'm not ready to give up on Kerry Coombs just yet. I think it was a tough year. And I don't know, you know, on paper, he should never have less talent than he had this past season. Um, so I think that's something to, to keep an eye on. All right, Nate, let's, uh, before we talk about the basketball team, which there's actually surprisingly a lot to talk about, I want to give you a little trivia question. I put this together before the podcast, and there are five correct answers. I'm going to give you five guesses. All right, I'll give, okay. you, seven, I'll give you seven guesses. Um, seven actually, guesses. We'll, we'll, okay. just do, we'll do a three strike. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm changing the rules on the fly. We're, we'll do a three <laughs> strike thing. Uh, three strikes. Yeah, I predict that you're going to get – three out of five correct before you hit three strikes. So okay. the trivia question is, who are the top five recruits according to 24-7's rankings in the oh, history God. of Ohio State football? And if you would like a hint, I can give you a hint. I, I want to give it a start. Okay. I Pharrell Pryor. He is number one. Okay. Um, yeah, one for one. So it's clearly not – it's not including players like Quinn Ewers who are, who are like a verbal commit, not including those guys, I would assume. Uh, we are – it's including the class of 2021, not, not you, okay. 2022. Okay. Um, I'm going to say uh, Jack Sawyer. He's number three, two for two. Okay. No way. You uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm, I'm going to add Teddy Ginn. He's number two. Those are the three that as I thought a, you would get. Yeah. At the corner, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It only has what his position is now. So it has like Terrell Pryor okay. and wide receiver, which is stupid, but. Okay. Um, I, I can't take full credit for this. I, I have. I, looking at the recruiting websites for 247 before, I have seen, uh, I think, part of that list. And I feel like there's a guy who ended up at Maryland whose name I have – I could not tell you. <laughs> that guy is not, five, is not in the top five, but I was, I was looking at that too. I was like, who is that guy? Um, it is <laughs> – yeah, no, he's not, he's not on this list. I think he's number eight, Sam Maldonado. Okay. Um, Sam Maldonado, there you go, okay. Okay. Um, a class of 2000. Okay. So I've got one strike. I'm going to count that as a strike. Oh, just, you get, so your guess was the Maryland guy? He, it was the Maryland guy, yes. <laughs> Sam, Sam Maldonado. Um, let's see. Man, can I get a hint? Give me a hint. Um, okay. The hint is one of the guys was there when we were in college from 2010 to 2015. Uh, oh, um, Noah Spence. Yeah. I didn't think you would get that one. He's number okay. five. Yeah. I, I remember that was a big time get it, man. What so he ended up at East, what he ended up Eastern Kentucky in Kentucky, him and Joey Bosa. What he would have been on a national title team. Um, if he hadn't gotten in trouble. Okay, so I've got four. Uh, I feel like I can't take another hint, so I'm not going to take another hint. Um, Chase Young? He's number 10. Oh. Last strike. 
Okay, I'm down to one strike, and I need to get one person left. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Oh, man. I'm going to say Jeff Okuda, but I feel like that's not right. Jeff Okuda is number 15. Dang it. This this guy is currently on the team, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. Who? Zach Harrison? Julian Fleming. Oh, my gosh. How did I not think? That's like one of my favorite players. Jeez. (laughs) And you know who's number five? Uh, Spence is number five, so Fleming is number four. Okay, gotcha. But if you included the current, like, Quinn Ewers, uh, Quinn Ewers is actually a perfect score somehow. He is literally a 1.0000. He would be the number one ever. Uh, I don't know if that – that rating would be pretty crazy to stay, um, but I guess you never know. They're really projecting him to be the next Patrick Mahomes, no pressure or anything. Um, Yeah. So that, that would that would kind of push down everyone else. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting list. Uh, you know, if you ever feel like you want to go down a rabbit hole and just kind of see um, basically the history of Ohio State recruits, it's very cool. They have like the top uh, 250. I feel like uh, I feel like if we wrangle in JT Tuimoloau as well, that that he might be on there. I'm looking at his. He is a nine 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 zero. Would that get him on the? Uh, that list? would put him at yeah nine 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 zero. That would put him at four. So it'd be Ewers, Pryor, Ginn, and then two Almalau, however you say it, and then Sawyer. But okay. these guys change like kind of like all the, like you know the guys that haven't actually gone in, in until you go to college, your rating tends to change. Right, right, for sure, for sure. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that feels fun the, to think that we could have Sawyer, Tui Moloow, Fleming, and Ewers all on one team. That, that feels pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that, yeah, that's, uh, it's going to be awesome. So I'm going to try to keep up with those random trivia questions uh, throughout the offseason podcast because, you know, we, we want to keep it light, keep it fresh here. But, Nate, let's turn the tables and talk about the basketball team. Um, this is, I feel like, Chris Holtman, this is like where he lives. He lives at the 13 to 17, you know, ranked ranked 13 to 17th in the country, um, you know, doing a pretty good job against ranked teams. He's put together a very consistent team. I think this team has a lot of flaws, but we haven't really talked about them much. So what's your impression of Ohio State to this point in the season? Man, I feel like the, the story with Chris Holtman for the last, you know, two or three years, I feel like, has been he's got the team playing really well through October, November, December. And then we hit this lull in January and drop like five in a row. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like we've weathered that storm a little bit more this season. You know, the the last few weeks, uh, this team's, uh, let's see, five and one with wins over, you know, at number 15, Rutgers, at number 14, Illinois, at number 10, Wisconsin, and they beat, you know, uh, Penn State and Northwestern as well. They did drop a home game to, to Purdue. Um, but, you know, it, another interesting test this week when they get number seven, Iowa, on the road as well. I, I just I, – I think what I love so much about this team is that it, it's really, really gritty. You know, they're tough-minded. 
They're physical. EJ Liddell's had has been awesome this season. I love watching Justice Suing. He's he's great defensively. Dwayne Washington's been really good this year. Um, and and I, I think I just love how many guys have a role. Uh, Seth Towns has a role. Zed Key has a role. Justin Arns has a role. Heck, even Michi Johnson coming off the bench has a role. Um, Musa Jallo has a role. And so I, I love the depth, and I feel like all none of these guys are superstars, um, which could be a problem, you know, winning a national title. But to, to compete for a Big Ten championship, to compete to get to, you know, the Final Four, I think so, isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I don't – well, if they're – let's see. If they're the 13th team now, they'd be, like, the first four seed, um, which means basically it's, like, you'd expect them to get to the Sweet 16 around that area. I, I just feel like they're – they have a massive hole in the fact that, you know, Villanova used to be famous for having the four-guard offense. I feel like we have, like, the six-forward offense. Like, we just have so many forwards and <laughs> big guys and guys who can't really dribble – um, CJ Walker's like, and, and that got exploited a little bit against Penn state, uh, Penn state, we're a team that typically doesn't turn the ball over because teams don't put full court pressure on us and don't force the ball like out of our guards hands. You know, it's typically Dwayne Washington who, you know, he's not a point guard by nature. He's definitely, he's like a, as pure of a shooting guard as it gets. He's a good shooter, but he, he's not, um, necessarily the best like distributor and, and not the best ball handler. And you have CJ Walker, who's like very conservative with his dribbling. But again, that's like your only guy who can bring up the ball. And when it gets out of their hands, you know, you have Kyle Young, Justice Suing, EJ Liddell, Justin Aarons, Zed Key, Seth Towns. Those are the next five guys that have the most minutes on the team and their next six guys. And, and none of them can really dribble the ball too well. So I think that that's kind of a hole that could bring them down a bit but as you said they do have that grit EJ Waddell has really taken off he's you know uh, not yeah. quite like the double double machine that uh you know Caleb Wesson quite was but he's definitely been very solid and I I'm, I'm happy that we have we have a competitive team and hey they're 4-0 against teams in the top 20 so there's something to be said about that yeah and you know talking about EJ Liddell um it, He's starting to develop an outside jump shot a little bit. The thing about a guy like him, you know, I could be completely wrong. I don't really know. He doesn't seem like the highest upside NBA type player. He's six seven, but he he you know he's more of a four than a three probably. Um, and so unless he really develops a jump shot, I don't know if he's like a, a big time. NBA prospect and that bodes well for the Buckeyes you know this year doesn't count and so if we could get you know three more years of this kid or even two I think about the player that he could be by the time he's a senior he's a 15 and 7 guy as a sophomore I mean he could be I I kind of think of him like uh, an Evan Turner he's not gonna be able to handle the ball quite like Evan Turner but a, a 21 and and nine guy, I think, is very possible. So I, I love what what Chris Holtman is building there. Michi Johnson's a, a lot of fun to watch coming off the bench. He's supposed to be a senior in high school, graduated early. This year's not, you know, hurting his eligibility. Um, and so I, I think the ceiling for this team is probably like a, a sweet 16, maybe an elite eight if they get some good matchups. But what I love most is that they – they aren't a team that like, you know, shoots the lights out or anything. So they don't rely on that. They don't rely on, 
on on making buckets. They don't rely on the offense. They rely on just being gritty and tough. And and I think that's a recipe to help guys or to help teams late in the season. Nate, whenever you say undersized forward, my uh, brain immediately defaults to Paul Harris um, <laughs> or, or Willie Beasley. I mean, Liddell's not quite that short. I think those guys were 5'11 on a good day. But he, he, is def- he does play taller than – than what he's listed at at six seven, he de- it definitely feels like he's taller than that. He's not like a monster rebounder. He gets seven a game, but yeah. Man, Paul Harris, I, I'm I'm gonna pull up his Syracuse stats real quick. He was six five two thirty. He was every bit of two thirty. He was not six five. Maybe with high heels, he was. And also, he six- they. They used to wear those tight jerseys with the like really baggy shorts, so it made him look even shorter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, his sophomore year, he was he was basically what Liddell is now, fifteen and eight. Impressive, he got eight boards. Exactly, um, and that's and what he, EJ Liddell is. He's a sophomore with fifteen and eight. That's true. He Paul Harris regressed a little bit, so we have to hope that's not the case for. Um, for EJ Liddell but yeah I'm it's fun to have a football team or to have a basketball team that's solid you know we had the year with Kata Bates Diop and Jay Sean Tate which was a lot of fun and then the last two years you know they've been tournament teams they haven't been great and I feel like this year they're starting to turn some heads it's a lot of fun to watch yeah it's it's fun too because I think what people struggle with the most with college basketball is it just recycles uh, you know, one and done players, and you don't get any familiarity with the with the with the teams or the players for that matter. Now that will probably go away when like the NBA dissolves that one and done rule, and players can go right from high school. I think the guys that go to college will probably ride it out a little bit longer. But I, I like the team that we have because it's like guys that we see year after year. Like Suing is a transfer, and Seth Towns is a transfer, and we do have the occasional like freshman that plays. But for the most part, you know, Kyle Young feels like he's been here for six years. EJ Liddell, he's only a sophomore, but I could, you know, he feels like he's been here for a while. So it's kind of, it's nice to see like the the faces year after year. Like, is, is Dwayne Washington a junior or a senior? Uh, he's a junior. I think he's, and, and he's, you know, this year, again, it doesn't, doesn't count against guys. Same thing. I think Seth Towns is a junior, um, just a suing junior. And so, this team, if guys stick around uh, in a year or two, could be pretty darn good. And also, if we did get the four seed, like what you're saying as far as, oh, maybe, you know, if we get the right matchup, you know, maybe we can sneak into Elite Eight. If we do end up on that four line, we would probably be like on the better end of the four line. So we wouldn't draw Gonzaga or Baylor, who are clearly like one and two above mm, everyone else. That's true. So that would be huge. Like if we drew Villanova or Michigan, I mean, Villanova and Michigan are still better teams than us, but, um, you know, I think it's still it's still something to consider. Boy, and I, I I would put the odds that Gonzaga or Baylor win the tournament at like ninety percent. I don't think there's anyone in the same stratosphere as those teams. They are. I hope that I hope they play in the national title because that'd be a ton of fun to watch. Now, Gonzaga has le- has three guys that are legitimate All Americans. I can't remember the last time one college basketball team had three guys that were considered that good nationally. Right. Right. It, it's special to watch, you know, you know, me, Mike, I grew up being a big Gonzaga fan going back to the, the Adam Morrison days. And it's fun to see a school that, you know, for a while was a mid major 
And then they were teetering on mid-major and blue blood program. They just couldn't get over the hump. And then a few years ago, they finally got over the hump and played in a national title and lost. And now, I mean, Jalen Suggs, he's a five-star, you know, all-world recruit, and he's he's playing really well. And they have that mixed with Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert, who are uh, veteran players. That That team is good. They're averaging 98 a game. I mean, they've played, like, really good competition. That's not just WCC. That's, you know, Kansas, West Virginia, um, Illinois, other schools. It, it's just been impressive. Corey Kispert looks like the guy that you're, you know, you're playing intramural basketball against, and he's on, like, the frat team. And, he, you know, he's just a lot, a lot better <laughs> than everyone else on the court. <laughs> he's just balling. He's got his headband on. Yeah, he's a stud. He's gonna be an NBA player. I mean, he's he's six eight. Yeah, I, I'm I'm rooting for Gonzaga. I'm right there with you, and and I agree. I mean, Mark Few. I know Jalen Suggs is a one and done, but for the most part, like teams that do it, I'm not even gonna say the right way because you know you can do the right way like one and done. Um, but I think it's I think that Mark Few should get rewarded with a title. That would be really really cool to see. It would. It it would be. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I'd be super pumped to see that. Anyway, Nate, that pretty much does it for us. Again, kind of on not necessarily the shortest podcast. I think we probably hit around like 45 minutes, something like that. But for these off-season podcasts, we're just going to do like these rapid-fire check-ins, kind of go topic to topic. Um, Obviously, we didn't give you the uh, great national championship recap that you guys so wanted, wanted so much. But, you know, I I feel like I kind of – I kind of didn't really talk about it, honestly, to anyone. Uh, for the last three weeks since it happened. It's just, I don't know, maybe that's my own coping mechanism. But this is, uh, I think this is the first time I talked about it for more than than like a minute with someone since it happened. You just got to stuff it down, man. Stuff it down, move on to next year. Yeah, if you guys have any questions, tweet them to us at Nuts for Bucks Pod. We would love to answer them for you. And until then, we will talk to you next time.